Morning. Morning. Seems a little high, a little bit lower. I'm hiding behind it. Um, forgive me. I ask forgiveness ahead of time. But not really. Because I, I really think I mean what, I, what I'm going to say today. <laughs> um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come gathered here together as your people. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the plans you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who protects, who cares. We thank you. This week, we're going to try to itemize all the things we're thankful for. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting things that are obvious. Forgive us our ungratitude. But Lord, this morning, I come with a heavy heart. Holy Spirit, I come and I invite you to come and take my words and make them life. Make them not empty and hollow. The Holy Spirit, come and show us where we, each of us, need to be today. I ask for mercy and for grace for ourselves, for this local church, for the universal church that we belong to, for the world in general. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Who are you? This is my topic. Who are you? I mean, really, who are you? Um, It depends on who we are. We start from someplace, right? You know, tall, short, thin, fat. You don't want to hear my story. Greek, not Greek, whatever. Okay, who are you? But today in our church, as God's people, I want to ask you, are you a child of God? Is that your identity? Child of God. And I'm hoping, I have to start from somewhere, I'm hoping that that is our identity. So then if this is who you are, then yes, you might not act like it, you might not feel like it sometimes, but this is who you have been created to be. So I have up here Matthew 5, 3 to 12, it's the Beatitudes, we've done this. I want us to read it together if we can, okay? Blessed the poor, can we read it? Or maybe you'd like to stand up. Let's stand up. Yes, Amalia, let's stand up. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are Jesus' words found in the Gospel of Matthew. You can be seated. This is who we are in Christ. That's who we are in Christ. That's our DNA. When our child misbehaves publicly, we admonish him. That is not how a Sideropolis behaves. I remember Alexander was always so good at home. 
I'll pick on Alexander, he's not here. Um, he was so good at home, always really, really well behaved, which means that I run a tight ship at home, right? But he used to do naughty things outside. Now, normally it's the opposite, right? Kids are well behaved, out, you know, yeah, but not Alexander. And I remember getting, he was spending a night at David Link's house, one of his friends, and I get this phone, and the grandmother was babysitting. Henry, you remember that night? We were out for dinner, and I get a call from this, you know, 80-year-old grandmother. She says, Mrs. Sideropoulos? And I said, yes. And she says, Alexander has gone outside and broken all the sprinklers. And I'm like, my Alexander? And she said, yes. And I'm like, well, why would he do that? And she's like, And I remember coming home, having Alexander come home, and I was just so, okay, mortified, embarrassed. It's like, we don't do these kind of things, Alexander. This is not what a Sideropoulos does. So I want you to think about it, okay? Think about this for a second. God has been telling me, I think God has been telling us, guys, this is not what my children do. This is not how they behave. Genesis tells us that we have been made in the image of God. Can you imagine that? We have been made in the image of God. So think about that for a second. Now I want you to think about the way we have been acting. There's a lot of feedback, is that right? Yeah. Now I want you to think about the way we've been acting during the election. I have to talk about the election. Now personally, I'm not very political. To be honest with you, except for this specific election, I was really not political at all. And I don't even think I call myself political, but yes, I have joined the fray. I try to read up on things, I try to learn who's who, but it doesn't come naturally to me. So this is not a political sermon. It's a call to be who we have been created to be. What is our identity? Most of us in this room are immigrants, with a few exceptions. People who have come to the United States of America for various reasons. Economic, educational opportunities, safety from war and persecution, Lady Liberty, with broken chains at her feet, welcomed us. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Statue of Liberty. This is why so many of us are here. A shelter from the cold. Do you know that it is adversity that gives us character? It's adversity that either breaks us or makes us. Think about it. What would Noah be without a flood? Abraham without a Mount Moriah. David without a Goliath. Jesus without a cross. Churchill without the Blitz. Lincoln without a civil war. So in our country today, there's great diversity, division, hatred, and fear, an incredible victory and a devastating defeat. Will it break us as a nation, as a church, or will it make us better? So let's look at who we are. If our identity is in God, let's see what he tells us. Micah 6, verse 8. 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there are three things. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Pay attention. These are not choices. It's not like a check off one. Yeah, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm going to choose what comes naturally to me. I'll do the justice part, but forget about the kindness and the humility. I think that's how we've been feeling lately. And Jesus says, God says, no way. No way. We are called to action that comes from a passion that is daily sustained by a habit. I'm going to say that again. We are called to an action that comes from a passion that is daily sustained by a habit. I want to turn this list around a little bit. The first point I want to make is that we need to have a daily habit of walking humbly with God. Let's look at the definition of humbly. Humility. Webster says meekness, unassertiveness, lack of pride and vanity, affirming the inherent worth of others. Unassertiveness. Not quite the American way. Now, walking humbly with God is not a hiking date that you set with God. Lord, I'm going to meet you at the Rose Bowl and I'll walk humbly there with you for three miles. That's not what God has in mind. Okay? Or even better, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., okay, I'll walk humbly with you during worship service. Which I think many of us do. Now, this is a state of being. It's always. Always recognizing that God's ways are the right ways. Being teachable and being deeply aware that my knee-jerk, my knee-jerk reactions are not almost, almost always not humble. Does humility come naturally to us? Well, you can ask my family. It doesn't come naturally to me. Oh, yeah, I self-deprecate, but it's basically so others won't beat me to it. But test my humility by insulting me or dismissing me or criticizing me. Then my true self bubbles out, and actually, more correctly, it erupts like the old faithful Yellowstone. <laughs> But I am the ant on the coffee table, and God is God. Even if I see other ants messing up on the job and not performing at my level, which I see all the time, I'm still an ant. Easily wiped out by the hand of God at any time. I am perpetually, continuously, predictably imperfect. I am self-centered even when I'm being generous. I'm always, it's always about me, even when I do things for others. So don't be confused by my veneer, because I'm a mess inside. That's who I am. And you, who are you? But wait a minute. God tells me I'm made in his image. Well, then why am I such a far cry from being pure in heart, gentle, merciful, kind? Why am I defensive? quick to see faults in others, why do I think that my way is almost always right? Because walking with God must be a habit. As I gaze on who God is through the Bible, 
as I check my heart daily to see how aligned it is with God's heart, I am humbled. The Holy Spirit must, give, must be given free reign in my heart. Rhea, was that actually the right thing to say over here? How is, gum, how is God humble, you might ask? God humble? That's kind of an oxymoron, is that? Well, I want to look at Jesus' life. Jesus, God, the Son of God, and his life. Just a few points. The creator, God, chose a young, poor, unmarried girl to be his mother. He chose to be born the way you and I were born, through a woman, but not in a home, not in a hospital or a birthing room. He chose to be born without glory, without pomp and circumstance, amidst the smells of dung and goats, gnats and rats. You know, we, we so idealize it, huh? Away in the manger. It's like, really? I remember on our honeymoon, we went to Henry's mother's village. Actually, it wasn't. It was the village outside of the village. And we went to the oldest uh, sister of my mother-in-law's. And um, when we got there, she was milking her goat. She was in this barn, and she says, come, 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 let me show you how to do it. And at 19, maybe now it would have been different, but at 19, all I could do is not gag. He had no home to rest his weary head. He chose to have the stigma of illegitimacy. He chose to be a refugee in Egypt at a young age, fleeing for his life. He chose to be vulnerable as a baby. We had that conversation with the Wendy yesterday, Wendy Gaines. Vulnerable as a baby, vulnerable as a toddler learning to walk. He had to learn to talk, just like you and me. And he learned to read, get this, using the Hebrew primer. The Psalms of the deeply flawed King David. My savior, creator, healer, God, humbly sat there on somebody's lap while they had psalms of King David. Yes, man's God, man after God's own heart, but we all know who King David is, flawed, to learn his ABCs. <laughs> he chose to keep his mouth shut as a lamb led to slaughter. He chose to serve and save the precious creation that ridiculed him and refused to recognize him as God. Can you imagine? It's one thing to save people, but it's another thing to save a whole bunch of ungrateful people. I mean, you know, as a mother, I think I can kind of sort of a little bit relate. He chose a criminal's death. And the most peculiar of all to me, really, the most peculiar. He chose the church to be his ambassadors of hope and freedom to the world, the church. The church that we know today, not just Agape Christian Church, the church. The church that's fighting right now, like this. What do you think of that? I mean, I definitely would not have done that if I were God. There are a lot of things I would not have done if I were God. The creator, savior God chose a group of flawed, self-centered, self-righteous people to spread the message of freedom and love. I mean, what, you know? So when you think about humility, Jesus is the definition of humility. 
And why did he do all that? I mean, really, why did he do that? Okay, I understand coming to earth. So he was, I get it. I understand that, you know, but really, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to come. Hebrews tells us so that he can understand us, so that we can have a God who sympathizes with us, who has experienced our pain, who has been tempted in all things, and yet never sinned. So why did Jesus come to earth to suffer and die for a bunch of people that didn't even recognize him? Because he loved us. Now I'm going to pray and don't think the sermon is over because I'm going to pray three times during each, each session here. Okay, so don't get excited. Okay, don't get nervous. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to walk humbly every day of our lives, every breath we take. Would you help us? Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to our blind spots so we can see the ugliness of our ways? Our identity is in you. Could you make us act more like you? Have mercy on us, Father. Amen. The second point is, what does God require of us, O oh man? To love kindness. I interpret that as having a passion for kindness. A passion. You love something. A passion of kindness. Are you passionate about being kind? So let's look at the definition of kindness. Gentleness, concern, care, warmth. Are you a kind person? Occasionally, often, always. When you're feeling rested, when you're hungry and tired, at work, at play, in private, publicly, driving on the bus, on the plane, when your candidate wins, when your candidate loses, during good times, during scary times? Are you kind to those that are abusing you? Are you kind to those that disagree with you? Or disappoint you? Or tear you down? Are you kind to your children? When they embarrass you, when they turn their backs on what you've taught them, are you kind to those that never seem to reciprocate your kindness? To those that don't deserve your kindness? God doesn't want us to be kind sometimes. He wants us to have a passion for kindness, a passion. Think about a second what you're passionate about. Adam, I kind of have an idea of what you're passionate about, but others. Can you turn that energy that focus and commitment to being kind. Can we afford to be kind when justice and the right thing is being jeopardized? Now you see, now that is a question I've been asked, I ask myself. But things are going wrong in the world. There's all sorts of horrible things. This last week at Eva, as we, there's you know, sex trafficking, there's human trafficking. How can you be kind to that? Things are not right. Kindness is like, how can that change anything? And I believe that's where faith comes in. Who has got your back? God does. You can afford to be kind. You can afford to be passionate about being kind because it's God's job to make things right. He is in control. This is what walking humbly with God is all about. Understanding and learning that, you know, all the plans that I've set, you know, my life today, Henry's and my life today, looks nothing like what I had thought it would look like when I started this very exciting journey at 19. Nothing like what I thought it would be. And God says, yeah, you know, 
you try to control things. We are in his hands even when things seem so wrong. First Timothy tells us that we're to pray for our political leaders. <laughs> I think I was joking with somebody, like, I'm going to pray that they just... <laughs> That's not what it says. <laughs> okay. <laughs> pray for our political leaders. Pray for tranquility, a quiet life in all goodness and dignity for wisdom, for choices. And then, Timothy says a verse later, because God is always trying to save them. Imagine what the world would be like if we were all passionate about kindness. Loving without an agenda. Now that's a very different thing because as growing up in an evangelical home, preacher's kid, I used to think that we love so we can bring people to the Lord. We are God's instrument of love so, he can bring, so they can find Jesus. But as I'm getting older, and as I'm understanding a little bit more, that's God's deal. But I have been told to love. Not with an agenda. To love. And I've been told to be passionate about it. So what does that look like? Well, first off, (laughs) this is where I'm going to get into trouble, guys. Kindness does not vilify people. Because all are redeemable. Do you believe that? Every single person who has breath is redeemable. Or do you think that God is incapable of saving the blackest soul? I'm not sure what kind of God you believe in. But my God, the God I believe in, the one who creates with his breath, who chooses to humble himself beyond recognition to free me from shame and guilt, that God can do anything. He can take the darkest soul on death row and transform them. He can take a pedophile, a rapist, a serial killer, and change them. He can turn a racist into a humble, kind, justice-loving person. That's my God. That's how big he is. What about your God? Can he do that? Is he capable of doing that? If God is in the business of redeeming, who am I to call a political candidate, candidate an antichrist? Or a president to be like Hitler. How about if we stop the rhetoric of vilifying people that we disagree with? Can we start that as a church? Because really we are members of a church. Can we stop calling people reprobates and unredeemable? You tell me that you haven't actually seen perhaps a hardened criminal turn his life around. Well, I'm going to tell you here, I haven't really seen a mountain being formed, but I still believe God did it. Because my God is big. Passion for kindness turns us into listeners rather than talkers. Like, you know how I love to talk. We want to hear a person's story, listen to someone's hurts. We need to resist 
dwelling in an echo chamber. You know what that's like, an echo chamber? You just hear your voice reverberate. Oh, it sounds so good, so cool. We need to resist dwelling in an echo chamber. We must listen to those that think differently from us. There must no, be no invisible people in our lives. So how do I personally do that? Well, I try to follow smart people on Facebook, on the internet, with whom I disagree. I try to enlarge my social circle to include people with different views, recognizing that diversity, actually, is a wonderful thing. And I'm asking you as a church for you to commit with me to doing this. I want us to listen to the heartache of a homosexual growing up as an outsider. I want you to listen to the anguish of a pregnant woman terrified of having a child. Listen to how a hardened criminal started off as a child learning to read. Was he always like that? Listen to the story of a poor mine worker that he will lose everyone and everything if the mine closes down and his terrifying feeling of nobody's listening to him. Listen to the proud Native American who lives with the reality of living on a preservation when this was all theirs. Listen to the racist and hear his story. How did he get there? Listen without judgment. Listen with a passion. Put yourself in that person's shoes. Close your eyes and imagine their story being your story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is hard. It's easy to empathize with those who we love and share values, but would you give us the grace to hear, without judgment, the choices and feelings of those who differ from us? Would you teach us to be humble like you were when you walked this earth? We want to be passionate about kindness, Heavenly Father, and love, not about who is right and who is wrong. Heavenly Father, please let me trust you when you say that vengeance is yours, that that's not my job. My job is to love. Thank you. Amen. And then we are to do something. We're to act. What does the Lord require of us? To do justice. Do what? Well, let's see who is doing this justice. It's a person who's daily walking humbly with God. It's a person who has a passion for being kind. That's the person who's called to do justice. Very different than many times how I see things going down. And as Christians, my identity is with God. I want to say to you, I want to look at a second, how did Jesus do justice? He walked here on earth, how did he do it? Well, Jesus met a Samaritan woman at a well. Apostle John tells us that he was tired, he was weary. He had been walking all day, doing ministry all day, and here's a well in enemy territory, and he sits on at the end of the ledge while his disciples went out to buy food. This was a time when Jesus wanted to just have some downtime. I can relate. I mean, it felt like that, full day at work, you come home, you just, just, just leave me alone. Just a little peace and quiet. And who comes along? A woman. An enemy Samaritan woman a deeply flawed, needy, sinful, enemy, Samaritan woman. 
But our humble Lord knew what it was like to be an outsider. His mother had often been accused of having him out of wedlock. He got it. He understood it. He was not there to judge her, but to serve her. He engages, unheard of in the Jewish society, for a male to publicly dialogue with a woman. Even husbands rarely talk to their wives publicly. He asked her to give him water from her unclean, unpurified bucket. Oh, if the Pharisees had seen him, they would have a field day. He talks theology to her. He offers her freedom from her guilt and shame. He gave her a voice, dignity, and a solution. Can we take some lessons from Jesus? Engage with kindness and cross cultural barriers. Let's do it. Jesus saw a human being in pain. Not an invisible woman, not a Samaritan woman, not a sinful Samaritan woman. Can you forget for a moment the outside of a person and focus on their humanity? Just for a second. Jesus respected human dignity no matter what his value system was. And I have to tell you, Jesus' value system was a lot higher, a lot better than yours and mine. Can you do that? Can you give what you can to alleviate pain? Whether it's listening to a story without judgment, protecting someone by standing next to them in their journey without cliches of spiritual wisdom, I want you to weep with me when I'm hurt. Don't tell me that everything will work out when it feels like my world is collapsing. I think those of us who've had therapy, that's the first thing we learn. Embrace me, feed me, love me as I move into a safer place. You can be strong for me because you know that God is in control and you know that there's gonna be good that will come out of it. But be wise. Don't tell me that while I'm just completely destroyed. Don't remind me of that prematurely because that just makes me feel unheard, unloved, uncared for. You don't get it. Wait for me to feel the loss, to feel the fear. Wait for me until I start to come out of it and together remind me the end of the tunnel. How are you doing? I asked that of Lantu last week. She looked at me like this, why, why? <laughs> because I had this kind of like, how are you doing? She was like, why, why? You know, it's like almost like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> Lantu, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but that was very funny to me yesterday, last week. Um, how are you doing is not a throwaway question. Our society has turned it into that. A how are you doing needs an answer. It says, you're not alone in your feelings. I care. How do we listen? We need to equip ourselves to listen. We need to listen with Christ's righteousness, not our self-righteousness. Trauma can be healed, but first it must be felt. So people in our country are traumatized by what's going on, both sides. Jesus never tells the traumatized to be silent. What's happened to you? Healing begins 
where the wound was made. We don't throw out our arms and shout, you know, what's wrong with you? How long is this going to take? Seriously? You don't have the right to say to an African-American, okay, really, how many years have you been freed from slavery? Enough already. (laughs) Say the same thing to a Native American. Enough already. Say something of a person who has suffered abuse. Enough already. Enough is never enough until the person says, I'm ready to move on. We ask what happened to you, and we listen deeply no matter how uncomfortable we feel. And some people's stories make me feel uncomfortable. The crying, the fear, the feelings lead to understanding. It's a space for stories to be told, rage to be shouted, and fears to be shed. Let all stories of trauma be heard, not just the ones that, you know, are kind of okay in the church. Jesus says, In days like this, when trauma has been heard and felt, this will give us the opportunity to testify and proclaim the true gospel of Christ, freedom and life, not guilt and shame. But many times the church just wants to revel. Oh, this is wrong. You need to feel guilty. You need to feel shame. That's not how Jesus came and saved the world. So there's no timetable on recovery. Time to get a tougher skin. We're bound to each other, and we ask, Lord, shed light here so we can see. Sometimes listening is all that's needed for healing. Sometimes it's shelter and food. Sometimes it's a job. Sometimes it's giving a voice to the voiceless. How do we do justice? How do we stand between people who God loves and those that want to do them harm? South Africa Mandela said, the steady accumulation of slights results in anger. The steady accumulation of slights results in anger. So how do we stop that? Well, you allow people to voice the slights. You don't tell them, shut up, you know, it's not a big deal. Okay, really? Be a bigger person. Just, if it bothers you, let's talk about it. So there's no all this stuff swept under the carpet, and then finally it's this mountain that just erupts. I read of a simple act of justice by a meek woman on the commuter train. She saw that a few teenagers were bullying a young woman on the train that was wearing a hijab on her head, a Muslim woman. This observer quietly got up, not looking at the teenagers, and she sat next to the woman, the Muslim woman. The woman was like, you know, she just started a big... A simple conversation. Wow, I had such a long day. You can believe the lines at the supermarket. I can't wait to go home. I hope my kids, somebody's made dinner. Little by little, little by little, not looking at them, at the bullies, but little by little, little by little, this woman started feeling safe, started feeling somebody's next to me, started feeling somebody's in my corner. Some solutions are very simple. Some aren't. But God will give you and me wisdom what to do, how to come alongside someone who needs protection. I'm praying today that the Holy Spirit has talked to us, that he has shown us a new way, or simply reminded us what we've known about but disregarded. Let's stop publicly venting angry rhetoric. Just stop. 
people of peace and faith. Let's be instruments of change. Let's listen to the other side. Listen to their stories. Whatever the side is. Listen to those that are hurting. And let love come to them. And help them come to a better place. I invite all of us this morning to make a habit of humbly walking with God. Let him teach us his ways, his gentleness and love. Let's commit to being passionate about kindness. Let's be kind even when it's inconvenient, even when we don't feel like it, even if we feel the person doesn't deserve it, even if the person doesn't reciprocate. But God loves us. He has given us everything we need. We trust him with our lives, with the injustice of the world. So let's commit to listening. Let's take the wax of self-righteousness out of our ears. And listen to people without judgment. Listen to their pain, their disappointments, their fears. Let's commit to not offering premature solutions. And answers to their pain. Walk by their side. Put your feet into their shoes. That's what I'd like today. For us to commit to kindness and understanding on social media. Not anger. Not vilifying people. I invite us to do something about people's pain today. Be the buffer to someone who's being abused. Stand next to them. Let them know that they are not alone. Whoever that is. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are your people. We are your chosen church, chosen to bring peace and freedom to this ailing world. Would you show each one of us today how to be truly humble, especially when we feel we have solutions? Help us understand, Heavenly Father, that your solution is always love. Teach us to be passionate about kindness, especially how to show kindness to those we disagree with. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to stand in the gap for the disenfranchised, for those invisible people without a voice. Would you show us how to humbly, passionately love all those who are precious to your heart? Like the father of the demon-possessed son, we declare to you, Heavenly Father, we have faith But can you help us with our unbelief? May the adversity of this political climate in the United States be the church's defining moment, a moment when humility, kindness, justice join forces in the church and its members. May the world see us and say that truly we were collectively and individually instruments of freedom and love. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, pour your grace afresh on us. Renew us. And during this week, this time of thanksgiving, Lord, remind us of our blessings. Remind us, Heavenly Father. Lighten our hearts. Can you do that, Lord? Fill us with a love that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.